Good morning, Cornerstone Church family. My name is Mark, and I'm a pastor here in San Francisco, and we're neighbors. I'm the pastor of Experience Church, literally three blocks down the street right off Valencia. And I just want to say thank you for who you are as a church. You are a model church and a massive inspiration to so many pastors, not only in the city, but across the Bay. 30 years, Pastor Terry and Cheryl have been leading so faithfully and uh, we call them unicorns amongst pastors. Anybody that leads longer than 30 years at the same church is a unicorn. And uh, just incredible to see in a city where 30 months is a long time to be here, 30 years of faithfulness and generational fruitfulness and resilience. We thank you so much for who you are and all that you've sown into the larger body of Christ across the Bay. Uh, I've got a picture of my family with me. This is my beautiful brown-eyed girl, my college sweetheart, Amanda, our three children, Max, Jack Jones, and my little Maddie. And uh, we just got back from an epic vacation. This picture was taken on the 4th of July at the Washington Monument in DC. The fireworks were incredible. We hit eight states over a span of two weeks. It was absolutely fantastic and so needed for us to get rest and to get our batteries recharged. And so I, I'm hoping you're getting me at my very best today. What we're gonna be talking about today, I believe is the most important thing that we will ever do. And Jesus is talking to us from John 15, and he's using this agricultural illustration of vines and fruit and roots and fruitfulness. And so in John 15, 4, we're going to be reading from not the ESV or the NIV, but the NVV, which stands for the Napa Valley Version. I'm sorry, that was horrible. That was worse than a dad joke. But we're talking about vines and wine and fruit. And the illustration here is John 15, 4. And this is what he says, the most important thing we'll ever do. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then here's the key word, abide. Abide in my love for you. Not in your love for me, but in my love for you. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for Cornerstone and the church across the city and the bay. And we ask that you would help us abide in your love. Teach us how to abide and receive and walk in your love. Help us become people of love that live and love like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Years ago, we surprised our three kids for Christmas with a puppy, a little golden doodle named Champ. And he wasn't a puppy for long. You can see the picture. He's huge. And uh, it was my job. I was tasked with teaching Champ how to be a model member of our family, right? So be, let's disciple out the unruliness and the chaos and the disobedience, and let's help him be a great member of our family. And so I took him to training, and what I learned quickly is that the trainer doesn't fix your dog or make it obedient. The trainer trains you how to do that, and that takes lots of reps. And so I, I needed to help Champ become a disciple, and he needed discipleship. And so I began training him, and I'll be honest with you, it wasn't going all that well. I was a little bit frustrated. And we'd walk in the mornings together, and we're on this prayer walk, and he's pulling ahead, and butterflies and squirrels, and, <laughs> you know, he'd see anything that would distract him. He'd pull ahead, and my shoulder's starting to hurt as he yanks me, and I just kind of give this simple prayer, and just, Lord, just fix this dog. 
just teach this dog how to walk with me. And I'll never forget the most clear, tender response I heard from the Holy Spirit. He said, you do that to me. And I thought, oh no. My first thought was, I'm still on a leash? <laughs> like in my relationship with Jesus, I'm still on a leash? And I know what he was talking about. And I, was, I was convicted in my heart that I was, I was trying to run ahead. I wanted Jesus to follow me. I didn't want him I didn't want to follow him. I wanted to go where I wanted to go, and I wanted him to come with me to help me get there. And I just, I just said, I said, Father, I, I just want to walk with you. I want to be with you. I'm sorry. Would you, would you help me walk with you step by step? And when I said that simple prayer in response, I felt this overwhelming love just come over. It's like a warm blanket around my shoulders. And I even got a little emotional, and I'm not like the crying type of guy. It just felt this incredible love. It wasn't a thought. It was like this expressed feeling. I can even feel it now sometimes when I talk about it. I had an experience in God's love. And I, I, was, I was training Champ, or I thought I was, how to walk with me, but really the whole time God was training me how to walk with him. And I don't know about you, but I want to walk with Jesus without a leash. <laughs> I want to walk with him step by step in stride. See, abiding is walking with Jesus. It's this pace of grace. It's not in a hurried frenzy. It's not in a rush. It's in this walking with Jesus where we learn to abide. And in this language of John 15, for, for a vine to grow well, it, it has to abide. And, and in order to abide, it needs a trellis. And a trellis is, is a system of, and a framework of wood that supports the vine and helps it bear all the fruit that it's capable of. And without a trellis, it'll only bear a small fraction of what it could bear in terms of fruitfulness. Without a trellis, it's vulnerable to wild animals and to disease. And so this, this trellis is just, in our lives as followers of Jesus, it's a, it's a system it's a schedule, it's a framework and rhythm of practices that ensures our growth and our fruitfulness. It really teaches us and helps us abide in God's love. The word abide means to, to be held. What's symbolic here and the imagery is of surrender, that we're literally letting go in order to trust and to be held by another. We see abide also uh, speaks of time. It, it speaks of to wait for. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I can wait. I just don't wait patiently. Normally, I wait anxiously, and my toes tapping, and I'm, let's go, let's go, let's go. But abiding is completely opposite. It's, it's waiting for patiently. Abiding also goes outside of time and place, and it, it, it speaks to relationship. It speaks to us being present to another. Abiding is such an important word. And this system and framework of patterns and practices with Jesus actually help us learn how to abide. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, said this, when we curate our attention on Jesus and allow the flow of his thoughts into our minds, we begin to experience his peace, his love, and his compassion for all, his deep, pervasive joy. We become calmer, more loving, and plain happier 
just by abiding. Now, I know if we look at culture of the last two years, it, it hasn't been calm or happy. It seems like it's been devastatingly depressed, on edge, and anxious. Everything seems so heated and hateful and angry in this cancel culture. And as followers of Jesus, we are to swim upstream and we are to have countercultural formation into the image and likeness of Jesus himself. And so I want you to know that abiding is easy. It's easy. In fact, you and I, we do it every single day. Every human abides. The question is, what are they abiding in? Everyone abides in something. What occupies your mind, what, what you're thinking about continuously, what you're stewing over, that's ultimately what you're abiding in. If it keeps you up at night, if it's the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning, these are the things that we're truly abiding in. And so let's think about that this morning. What, what are you abiding in? Is it maybe your to-do list that seems just like things are always being added and it's overwhelming you? That's where your mind continuously goes. Or maybe it's your achievements. You got you to hit that goal. You got you to beat that finish line. Or maybe it's money. I, I, I got to have more crypto. I got to get more of my 401k. I've got to put more aside for retirement or the kids' college fund. I've, I've got to have more money. And it just occupies your mind and your thinking. Or maybe it's this need for success. You got to go to the next level in your career. It could be your needs. And these could be real needs, physical needs, maybe in your health. It could be social needs. Maybe you're, you're lonely or, or maybe you're a single person and you, you really want to be married and find that special someone. Sometimes it's our, our needs that we abide in. Or it could be even our desires or our dreams for what our future could look like. We can also abide in, in even our disappointment. Maybe you thought your life was going to be like this and, and now here you are and it looks nothing like what you signed up for. And that disappointment, you just stew over it and you're constantly thinking about it. And it's where your mind consistently goes. It could be lies and deception. It could be things that people have said about you that, that you continually think about. Maybe it's even fear. There's been so much fear in our world over the last couple of years. And maybe, maybe it's a fear of missing out. Maybe it's a fear of failure. Maybe it's a, a fear of, of imposter syndrome, of people finding out that you're not as competent or as smart as you, th- as, as you portray or project to others. You could also be abiding in your past. Maybe it's your, your failures or your mistakes. Or it could be in your pain. Maybe it's physical pain in your body. Maybe it's relational pain. Whatever that pain may be. You could be abiding in it where you give most of your time, your attention, your thinking, your your feelings are attached to that abiding. So I want to take a moment. We call these at our church Selah moments. We do these a couple times every Sunday, but here on Church Online today, we're only going to do it once. And Selah means to pause, to consider, to think, or to ponder. And so in the comments below, you can share regarding this question, or if you're watching with others, this is a great time for you guys to have a couple minutes of community and discussion. And here is our question. What do you abide in most? And when we look at like the length of our life, we're not really talking about in our whole life, what have we abided in the most, but currently right now, what are you abiding in most? Let's take some time to think, discuss, and consider.
You will become what you abide in. Where your attention goes, where your thoughts, your feeling, your pondering, your planning, your projecting for your future, where all of that energy goes, that abiding will ultimately determine the person that you become. See, what you abide in will eventually consume you. We see Jesus. He says that zeal for God's house consumes him. His, his, his abiding is in the Father's love, and so he cares about what the Father cares about. He cares about broken people getting put back together. He cares about sick people being healed. He cares about the orphan and the widow. Because he was abiding in God's love, he became like his Father. Hebrews tells us that he was the exact representation of the Father. What we abide in determines who we become. What you abide in shapes you. It defines you. Ultimately, your life will be known for someday what you abide in continuously. Rich Velotis, author of The Deeply Formed Life, says this, We are transformed from the inside out. One is transformed by saying yes again and again to Christ, self-giving, poured out, redemptive love. We receive it and we are formed by it. That's abiding. Abiding is saying yes to God's love, his thoughts, his plans, his purposes for your life over and over and over and over again. That's abiding. Another way you could say it is being with Jesus leads then to becoming like Jesus. We see in Mark chapter 3, it says that Jesus appointed his 12 disciples so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Being with Jesus, then sent to become like Jesus for and to others. Jesus called people to himself to be with him, to abide in his love and the love that the Father had for him. He gave to others. And it's in that abiding and that relating and that connecting and listening and getting to know Jesus for yourself in that abiding is where you become like him. And so Jesus sends out the 12 to preach and to heal and set people free from demonic spirits and to bring freedom and life and share good news. But he didn't send them first. He called them to himself to abide in his love first, to learn his rhythms of grace, to establish that trellis that we've been talking about so that they could grow fruitful and learn and cultivate this abiding in their life to walk with Jesus so that then they could live like Jesus in the world for other people. We see in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Peter and John, when Jesus met them, they were just fishermen. But because they had walked with Jesus and they were with Jesus and they learned how to abide in his love, they became like Jesus. And they heal a guy at the gate beautiful in Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, they have... They get all upset about it and they call them in and they question them and they threaten them. And we see Peter and John, their response was super bold. This is the same Sanhedrin that just trumped up charges that led to the execution of Jesus himself. These are probably not the guys you want to tick off or be bold with. Peter and John are, are bold and this is what they say. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were just fishermen, they were astonished, watch this, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
these simple common people. They hadn't been to seminary. They hadn't gotten their MDiv. They simply had walked with Jesus, abided in his love. Now they're bold and they're moving in authority and they're doing miracles and they're helping hurting people. They are living like Jesus and other people can tell. Other people can tell that they've been with Jesus. There's a, a psalm, I believe it's Psalm 42, that says that he is the health of our countenance. That you can literally see Jesus on people. When people have been with Jesus, you can see it in their smile. You can hear it in their tone of voice. They become a non-anxious presence in this culture of, of chaos and exhaustion and hurry and rush and go, go, go. That the people of God can become this non-anxious presence that we can have a real tangible joy, that we can have a winsome attitude, that we can care for others and be more interested in them and their life and their story than, than we are about sharing our story with others. This is the, the life of Christ, that his life comes into ours and changes our life to become like his when we simply spend time with him and learn to abide in his love. Last week, we were in a prayer gathering with Pray the Bay, which is a, a prayer movement that's sweeping across the bay and uniting voices of prayer in churches. And it's just amazing to see what God's doing. And I was in this prayer gathering. There's this nurse, and uh, he's dealing with a lot of young kids in his hospital uh, that are youth that are just really crippled by mental health. Major issues going on. And so many of these kids are coming in every day trying to attempt suicide. And he said something so profound. He said, there is no medication for identity. There's no pill or prescription. And in his prayer, his prayer was that every one of those young people, a whole generation of young people, would know the love of God. They would know how much God loves them. What a prayer. I was so deeply impacted by that. My prayers for this generation has changed since hearing that nurse that literally gives medical care to young people on the verge of suicide almost daily now, with so many of these young kids having such a hard time coming out of COVID and being out of class and losing their rhythms of life, are, are trying to figure out who they are. And what they need to, to know more than anything is that they are loved by God. It's God's love that defines our life. Rick Warren says this. He says, to feel loved by God is the starting point for every ministry, every revival, every renewal, and every great awakening. That, that feeling, that experience of knowing God's love personally, not through your parents or your pastor or somebody else, but no, you personally knowing that God loves you. When you know that for yourself, that's the start of something really good. And it doesn't end there. It just keeps going. And like he talks about it, revivals and renewals and awakenings and all these things can happen. But where it starts, it starts with the most important thing we'll ever do. It starts with us abiding in God's love. Another way you could say that is the experience of God's love becomes the expression of God's love. It's not enough to know that God loves us in our head. It's not enough to, to like have mental assent we need experiential knowledge in our hearts that we know beyond the shadow of a doubt we are convinced that God loves us. My three kids, I want them to feel loved by me. Not just know because dad says it, he loves me. But no, they feel my strength. They feel my support. 
And I know it, it's happening by God's grace. Uh, recently, it was Father's Day, and one of my children wrote in the card, and this was so deeply touching to me. He said, Dad, thank you that I can always go to you. That meant so much. That's like the best thing that's been written in a card for me in a long time. It's yes, he's believing in my love for him because he's felt, he's experienced my love for him. See, the experience of God's love for you becomes the expression of God's love for others. See, the experience of his love becomes the expression of his love. And that's why it's not enough just to know in the Bible that what it says, that God loves us. No, we need to experience God's love for us. That experience then leads to the expression of God's love. And I believe this is what Paul was after in Philippians 1. This was his prayer for his church, the church of Philippi. This is my prayer for Experience Church. This is my prayer for the church across the Bay Area. It's this, Philippians 1.9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, that we would be abundant in love. Where there's hatred, we'd give love. Where there's sin, we would give grace and forgiveness and mercy. Where there's needs, we'd move towards it in generosity. Where there's an opportunity to serve, we'd roll up our sleeves and lend a helping hand. That love is an action. It moves with compassion. That we would become people of love that abound in love. This is what Jesus said in John 13. He said, you guys want to know how people are going to know you're my disciples? They're going to know by one and one thing only. They're going to know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. That'll be the key ingredient. What would our impact in our neighborhood, in our city, in the Bay Area be if we were truly people of love? If we loved like Jesus loved? If we cared for others like Jesus cared for others? What kind of testimony would that be for people that are hurting and broken, that are hopeless and in a dark place, battling fear, trying to get free of their own accord? The love that we have from Jesus, that we can abide in, that we can be shaped and formed by, can help us become those people of love to people that don't feel loved at all. This is the opportunity that we have as followers of Jesus. And this is why our prayer is that we would abound in love, that we would have more and more and more love. And can I tell you, we need more love. We need more love from God. We need to be convinced of that love and abide in it so that we can give it away to others. So how do we get there? How do we get to this place where we're walking with Jesus, convinced of his love for us? Well, the way is, like we talked about earlier, it's this, it's this trellis. It's this systems of practices. It's a, it's a schedule. It's a rule of life. It's patterns that help us find these rhythms of grace where we access God's love for us. And the first of which is the gathering of the saints. It's the people of God coming together. As, as we gather on our Sunday worship experiences, this is where we receive God's love. This is where we grow in God's love. And this is where we share God's love with others. Uh, we just did a family camp, which is like a holiday weekend for us as a church. We go away from Friday through Sunday, and we do Sunday church out in, in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And it's really a weekend for us to just abide in God's love, to hear from God, receive His love, and share in deep, beautiful community with another, and all the kids come. It's an absolute blast. My kids mark it on the map like this is their most favorite church thing of the year. 
And we get out there, and we have seen so many lives change. We had a young guy in our church who's had some really tough stuff happening in his family at home. And he sent me a text on a Monday after the family camp weekend. And he said, Mark, he said, I've never had this happen to me before, but I, I miss my church family so much on a Monday. I've never felt this. And then he said this. He said, Sundays are not enough for me anymore. What he's indicating is, man, I'm hungry for more of God's love. I want more of God's love. And we know that in searching the scriptures for Jesus, we find his love. We abide in his love. We rest in and receive his love. We read the scripture not just to learn who God is, but to learn who we are as loved sons and daughters of God. The gathering of the saints, the searching and studying of the scriptures to receive and abide in God's love, and it's prayer. It's, it's talking to Jesus about our everyday life, what we're worried about, what we're frustrated about, what we're annoyed about, what we're scared about, all the little things that you kind of think to yourself. Just turn those thoughts into an offer of prayer, presenting that to Jesus. He wants in on all those decisions. He wants in on all those thoughts and all those concerns. He would love to help you. He is eager to help. He loves to help. Nobody helps like him. He would love to help you. And so those thoughts, those worries, those concerns, it's just turning those and offering those to Jesus. And like me, he'll, he'll speak to you in a way that, that'll speak to you. He knows how to speak your language. He's not going to speak to you in King James, thus saith unto thee. He's going to speak to you in a way that you know how to hear from him. And as you get in church and as you receive through the gathering of the saints and through the searching of scriptures and through prayer, you're going to begin to see God's love help and guide and direct your life. And then lastly, it's, it's community. These deep, rich, transparent relationships with others. This is where we are reminded again of what God thinks about us. We abide in his love by being in deep, rich, meaningful relationships with other people that can speak the word of God to us and that can remind us of who we are in Christ. One of the indicators for me of community is it's not really community until I actually have gone to the place of depth where I know other people's needs and I'm actually committed to moving towards them to see those met. If community doesn't cost me something, if it's not sacrificial, it's not really community. It's just convenience. I want to be in sacrificial relationships that demand something from me because love is costly. It's not cheap and it's not convenient. It costs all of us something. And so this trellis, these patterns of the gathering of the saints, the searching from scripture, prayer, community, knowing one another's needs and moving toward them. What this does is it creates that system, that framework, that trellis to support that vine, that to support us in our faith journey where we are reminded continuously and come to a place where we're convinced of God's love for us. Now, if I'm honest with you, there is a battle over this abiding. The enemy is going to do everything he can to keep you from abiding. You know, the last time you open up your Bible and you're looking to read the scripture and then the notification on your phone goes off or the kids spill cereal uh, in the kitchen or the Amazon guy shows up to deliver something. I mean, we've all had it. Like the moment we try to get with God, the moment we try to get on the same page, it seems like everything's buzzing and all the alarms are going off. The enemy wants to do everything he can 
to keep you from abiding in God's love. And, and it's going to be a battle. You, you're going to have to become a defiant disciple that says, I am going to swim upstream in a culture that tells me it's crazy to go to church. Church is a waste of time. Why would you ever do that prayer? Are you kidding me? Come on, who are you even praying to? Why would you even pray? That's such a waste of time. Reading the Bible? That's so old-fashioned. Why would anyone read the Bible? These are the narratives. These are the things that our culture is telling us that we've got to learn to be defiant disciples and swim upstream so that we can abide in God's love, to be shaped and formed in who we were born to be, to love like Jesus. And so... Being honest with you today, here's a couple of my battles. Housing has been a battle for me. Are, are we ever going to be able to own a house? We sold our home to move here to the city. Are we, are we ever going to be able to buy a house? Are we ever going to really have a place that we can call home here long term? I go to bed sometimes at night thinking about that, waking up in the middle of the night. Crime. In our neighborhood, we live at the top of Potrero Hill, and we've had five home invasions at gunpoint in the last three months. It was not like that before the pandemic. Is, is, are, are we safe? I'm thinking about this sometimes. I'm abiding in this. Or how about school? My son's going to be in eighth grade, so that means you got to start like college entrance exams, which are basically San Francisco high schools. <laughs> Where's he going to go? How are we going to pay for it? Can he get in? What will happen? Will we win the lottery? A lot of times these things that I don't readily have answers to occupy my mind and cause me to abide in that instead of God's secure love for me. And I think where it hits home the most is with uh, one of my sons. About four years ago, we were down in Union Square, and he was attacked by a homeless man. And it led to six months of nightmares and a lot of tears and a lot of fear and a lot of coaching and a lot of prayer and a lot of learning about um, homeless people and mental illness and and addiction and what that can do to a person. Everybody has a story. And, and so we, we, we've had to take what's happened to my son and all the fears and disappointment and frustration and anger, and we've had to bring it back into God's love and be reminded that he's good and he's beautiful and he's kind and he knows what he's doing. And he didn't say there wouldn't be pain or challenge, but he did say he'd be with us in the pain of the challenge. And, and my son, Jack Jones, he, he, his heart has been so transformed by God's love for our brothers and sisters here in the mission that are living outdoors without a, a home right now, that he now joins our hospitality team on Sunday mornings and goes around the neighborhood with coffee, praying for homeless people. Abiding in God's love has changed his heart of fear and anger and leave me alone and I never want to be around a person like that again to they have a story and God cares about them and God has given me a resource that I can offer to them and I can pray for them. And now he knows all these different neighbors that we have around the mission and he's going out with our team most Sundays on Sunday mornings, and now we're seeing some of these brothers and sisters coming to church, and some of their lives are being absolutely transformed. Now, we could have very easily not abided in God's love and just went to hatred or anger or frustration or, or tried to press charges or all these things, 
But somehow, by the grace of God, we returned to God's love. And that's what I want to invite you to as we wrap it up and we respond to the teaching this morning, is I want us to return today. I believe God is offering us an invitation to return to His love for us. The scripture calls this our first love. And maybe you've wandered from that love, or maybe you've forgotten about that love. I think oftentimes we don't question God's ability, but a lot of times we question His willingness. I know He can, but will He? Will He help? Will He heal? Will He provide? Will He restore? And what happens is when we come with all those thoughts and feelings to God's love and abide in that love again, those thoughts and concerns and doubts turn to clarity and conviction. It turns to like a true, beautiful faith on the inside of us. And so I want to invite you to pray with me and to experience God's love. There's this song that I woke up to early this morning. Many times God will will, uh, wake me up and we have the alarm clock that shoots the time onto the ceiling and I'll wake up and there will be, whatever the number is, will be a scripture in the Bible. So let's say like 418 will be a scripture in the Bible that God encourages me with. It's just kind of a cool thing that he does. Although I don't like it when he wakes me up that early. Um, But recently I, I woke up this morning uh, with this, this song on my mind, and it was living flame of love, come baptize us. We know that uh, St. John came up with that, that term of living flame of love. That's what he called the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit's job is to return us and to bring us home to the Father's love for us. And so that's my prayer today is that 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 living flame of love, that you would be baptized, immersed experientially, again into God's love for you. If you would, just wherever you are, extend your hands. This is a posture of surrender and receiving. It's the most ancient posture in church history of prayer. At our church, we say open hands, open heart, open life. And so let's open ourselves to the love of God. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you meet us right now with your love? Some of us feel so unworthy of your love. Some of us have forgotten what your love feels like. I ask right now that you would meet every one of us with your love. Help us receive the Father's embrace right now. Help us accept your tender and kind words over our lives. And we just say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're wanted. Bring us home to the Father's love and help us abide in his love every day. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you and challenge you to set up this rule of life, this trellis in your life, a system of practices and schedules and 
And maybe it's a set time to pray or read the scripture every day, being committed to a community group, a group of people that you can learn and grow together and serving in the house of God on Sundays, the gathering of the saints. As you're consistent in this, you're going to see this growing sense of you believing in God's love for you. And I'll tell you what, that's a dangerous thing. A son or daughter of God that believes in God's love for them. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your Sunday. I want you to know we're right down the street. We're cheering you on. We consider it an honor and privilege to be serving Jesus in this beautiful city together. And we're believing that a new day is rising over the bay, a day of revival in the church, renewal in our cities, and awakening people to the presence of God. I can't wait to be a part of it with you. God bless you, Cornerstone Church. I've been running in circles, jumping the hurdles, getting caught in that rush of doing so much, feeling kind of worn out. All the check in the box, trying to be flawless. As we spin in my head, catching my breath, too afraid to slow down. I tell myself to keep this up, that God wants more than just my love. But I've been complicated things, it's just like me to overthink. Gotta keep it real simple, keep it real simple. Bring everything right back to ground zero, cause it all comes down to this love God.
That's right, love God and love people. I mean, these are the two great commandments that Jesus taught us, right? To love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? And to, to love people. And I like to say that starts with the people that are closest to us. And then we work our way out. May the Lord give us grace to walk in his love and to love him, to truly love him, to love him more. Lord, help us to love you more. And then help us also to love others better, to be less selfish, to be more kind. Then start with the people that you've given to us, who are gifts to us, who make our life rich, whose presence, if we did not have, we would be far more impoverished because of it. So even now, Lord, we just want to cultivate a grateful heart. We ask that you would fill us with your goodness and kindness and grace. Help us to live as a people immersed in your love. May he keep you in every way. For you uh, are loved in Jesus.